When we started here about 26 years ago, we could not imagine what God had in store for us. You see these four balloons that are beside me to my right. It stands for four students who crossed the threshold of faith on Wednesday night to the glory of God, making their profession of faith. Along with them, there was other students just giving their lives back to God. Now we begin the process of discipling them, something we're calling purple booking them. We have this purple book we're going to use for discipleship, laying the foundation in their life strong. We see discipleship happening here at every level. Father to son, mother to daughter. We see it older student to younger student. It's awesome. Last Wednesday night, it was with the Awana. They concluded by uh, uh, their, their year together by allowing me to hear them recite some of their scripture. I was blessed to see one of the girls who was there who didn't take any of the bucks unto herself, but she used them to buy diapers for the CareNet Pregnancy Center. I was blessed by the children clapping their hands and cheering for their leaders who are awesome and giving them high fives. Last week we heard the testimony in this place of the Seidel family passing on the faith to their children. Big Ben, who lives now in York, Pennsylvania with his wife, teaching little fourth, first graders up there in York. I can see a Big Ben on the floor, you know, crawling about these little guys like his father crawled on the floor with him. His brother Philip, who's in Kandahar, Afghanistan, serving our country, whose battle buddy passed away recently, but persevering in his faith. And Lauren and her husband, Chris, pouring into the students here, especially the youth praise team. This, te- this week we want to talk about passing on the faith from generation to generation. Chosen, 2 Timothy, you have a Bible, you can open up. It also has on the, on the screen for you some of these verses. But this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to persevere in the faith to his young son, Timothy. In the first chapter, the fifth verse, Paul writes these words. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, which I'm persuaded also lives now in you. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. It's kind of a play on words because the word Timothy is the word tamao. So God has not given us a spirit of timidity, O timid one. (laughs) But God has given to us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline, self-control. Paul is writing here to his young son in the faith, reminding himself, God has brought to my mind remembrance of your sincere faith. There's no question that this young man had earned the respect of the Apostle Paul. Paul said about him to the Philippians, he said, I have no one else like this young man, no one else with this kindred kind of spirit, no one else who has a genuine concern for your well-being. Everyone else seems to look out for their own interests, but you know Timothy has proven himself. Because as a son working with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy and Paul were vastly different. Timothy was young, and Paul was getting on in years. Timothy was inexperienced. Paul had a wealth of experience. Timothy was sort of shy, we might say introverted. And Paul was sort of lion-hearted and bold and courageous. 
Yet not only did Paul love Timothy, he believed in him. This is a word of affirmation to this young man who was undergoing great trial and pressure. And he thanked God for Timothy. Why? Because Timothy had been made in the likeness of image of God, and God had poured his gifts into Timothy, and he was at work in his life. He said, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. We know that Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, but most likely he did not have a believing father. He was saved when he was about 16 or 17 under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then Timothy would follow Paul on several missionary journeys. I have been to uh, Israel and have talked with many Jewish people, and most likely his mother, grandmother were Jewish, who put their faith in the Messiah to come. Uh, even though they knew, I believe, the Messiah has come, they had not come to that same conclusion. God put through the Old Testament many references to the coming of Messiah. The Messiah himself would be a king. He'd be born of a virgin, born in the little town of Bethlehem, that he would ride into Jerusalem aboard a donkey, that he would be numbered with the transgressors, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that a substitution would be made where he would be punished to give us peace, and by his stripes we would be healed. He'd be laid in a rich man's grave, but he would rise triumphantly from the dead. And so the nation of Israel was looking forth to the coming of Messiah. And his mother and grandmother were believing Jews, godly Jews, believing the Messiah was yet to come. Big question of the text is, how did the mother and grandmother come to faith in Jesus Christ? The answer is we don't know. But one possibility is grandmother herself traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, as all godly Jews would do at some time in their life. And there was a man there whose name was Peter. And Peter was anointed and appointed by God. And Peter stood up to say, You know this one Jesus, who testified to you with miracles and signs and wonders, which you know about. This very same Jesus, according to the foreordained plan of God, was handed over to wicked men who nailed him to the death upon the cross. But God has raised Jesus back from the dead, releasing him from the agony of death, for it is impossible for death to lay its hands upon him. And I testify to you that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And those who were pricked there were pricked to their hearts and said, what must we do? And Peter said, you must repent and you must believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And this is for all who will call upon his name both they and their children will call upon the name of the Lord. It's believed that the grandmother was there to hear the proclamation of the gospel, and she came home to her city of Lystra, and she shared that gospel with her daughter, and her daughter also was saved. But as believing Jews, now completed Jews, they would have practiced the Sabbath, and they would have set for themselves a Sabbath table, which is represented here. On the Sabbath, which was Friday at sundown, they would light a candle. The candle would represent that light has come into the world. It was out of darkness that God said, let there be light. 
And where there is light, there is the presence of God. It was inviting the presence of God into their household. And so they would light a candle to represent that God was present with them. And then there would be two loaves of bread. Do you know why two loaves? Because on the day before the Sabbath, every day God gave them manna from heaven. But on day before Sabbath, he would give them a double portion. Manna was like honey nut Cheerios. They kind of rained down from heaven. And they would gather up the manna. And this was their provision for the day. God was taking care of his people by providing for them. But on the day before Sabbath, he gave them a double portion. So on Sabbath, they would set out two loaves of bread to remind themselves of God's abundance. And then at some point in Sabbath, they would take the pitcher and they would pour the pitcher into the cup of wine. And they would let the pitcher flow. And it would flow just slightly over the top of the glass onto the saucer. Do you know why? Because the blessings of God would overflow into their life. They would understand hmm, the goodness of God by his blessings flowing into their life. They would know that we're to honor God with our wealth, with the first fruits, that our barns may be filled to overflowing with grain, that our vats may overflow with new wine. You see, God had been good to his people. And these people wanted to, their child to know the goodness of God. And they would, that, that Sabbath time, they would bless their son and teach them that Abraham was a man of faith, that Abraham was told by God to do a very hard thing, to take his son, the son whom he loved, Isaac, and go to a mountain and offer him up there. And Isaac asked a very profound question. You know, Dad, I... I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb? <laughs> and Abraham said, God will provide. And there on that mountain, the Lord provided for, his, for Abraham. He gave a ram in place of his son Isaac. And several thousand years later, God provided the lamb, Jesus Christ, the substitute to take our place. These stories of the Old Testament were teaching people that he is Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. He is Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. She would have taught them, her son the story of Gideon. Gideon was a man with fear and insecurity. He was threshing out his grain in the wine press. And the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, a mighty warrior. <laughs> right. He said, if the Lord is with me, where, what has happened to the Lord? It seems like he's disappeared. But the Lord appeared to him and overcame his fears, and Gideon became the commander of the army, conquering the enemy. And Joshua would have learned about El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, God Almighty. God would appear to him as commander of the Lord's army. You see, Joshua was trying to figure out a battle plan. There was the walls around Jericho. How are we going to take this city? Should we scale the walls? Should we dig underneath the walls? Should we take a battering ram and knock down the gate to the city? And God had a very different battle plan, to walk around the city for six days, and on the seventh day to walk around the city and shout and blow the ram's horn 
and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. You see, the Sabbath for them was a time to reflect upon the goodness of God. And even as God has provided for his people over the centuries, so God has been providing for us here. Do you realize that in ICOI, we started with about a $2.5 million debt. The debt currently is about $1.25 million. It has been halved in the last two years. God is providing for his people in the worst economic times of our lifetime. God is taking care of us and making provision and whittling down our debt. Some aren't getting their, hair, their, their nails being done. Some are making sacrifices. But God is providing for his people. And we're going to invite you to join us in this noble quest to eliminate our debt and show the mighty power of our God. It says here that, Timothy, you have a sincere faith. And your mother and grandmother also had sincere faith. You see, it's faith that holds on to us, and we hold on to faith. Our faith is in a God who moves big mountains. Our faith is in a God who opens doors that no man can open and closes doors that no man can shut. And we see this sincere faith being resonant in God's people. This place is full of women with a very sincere faith. They show their faith week after week by pouring in to our children. They show their faith week after week by teaching the children in their classes. They show their faith by showing up at the hospital and being doctors and nurses there. You see, sincerity speaks about consistency day after day. It speaks about integrity, you know, meaning what you say and saying what you mean. What he says is that Timothy, I see in you a sincere faith, which also was in your mother and your grandmother. So, Timothy, you're to fan into flame this gift of God which is inside of you. God has not given to you, Timothy, a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. You know, when I think about fanning into flame, God wants our lives to be ablaze, He wants us to be on fire. And when you think about a fireplace, and there's, wood, there's logs on the fire, but there's a log that's not on the fire, or the embers are burning low, so what you have to do is you have to kind of give that fire some oxygen. You know, pump it up. Give that fire some oxygen. So what can happen is those logs that are languishing can become ablaze. And what he's saying is, fan into flame the gift that God has given to you. For God has not given to you a spirit of fear. God has given to you a spirit of power, power over the enemy. God has given you a spirit of love, to love difficult people. And God has given to you a spirit of self-control, Timothy. You see, Paul believed in him. And he was affirming him. Here was a man under great pressure and persecution. And Paul was encouraging him to persevere in his faith. But then as we read on, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14, Paul says, And as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. What we are about as a church is 
passing on our faith to the next generation, not only to learn the faith, but also to become convinced, to become people of conviction, knowing whom you've learned it from, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. The early church was noted for being devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were teaching with authority, and the church submitted herself to that authority. That's important because at the core of the whole matter of Scripture and discipleship, it has to do with authority. To grow and mature in your faith, you must decide who and what will control the decision-making process of your life. Timothy had heard the stories. Timothy had seen the life of the Apostle Paul, but he had to continue in that faith. It's very possible that Timothy had some copies of the Scriptures. Now, I want to say, first of all, that learning the Scriptures requires reading the Scriptures. <laughs> if you're ever going to learn what the Scripture says, you have to open up the book, right? You have to um, put yourself before the book. And you cannot learn the Scriptures by reading them once. You must give yourself to repeated exposure to the Word of God. There is no other way to grow and mature in your faith than by reading and meditating and applying the Word of God to your life. For in the Scriptures, you'll discover who God is. And you'll discover who you are, your relationship to Him, your identity in God. You'll discover the world in which we live, a perspective upon this world. God will tell you about the times in which we live. And God will show you how to live your life. If you will read the scripture, two radical things will happen. The first will be, you'll begin to think very different about yourself and about God and about this world. And the second it is, it will begin to change your lifestyle, your behavior, sometimes in very dramatic ways. The Bible is like a seed that gets planted in us. That's why James says, receive the seed implanted, which is able to save your souls. The Word of God is like a seed that God plants inside of us. And if the soil is right, the seed is received. That seed takes root and begins to produce fruit in our lives. Many people across America are going to church. They may even be reading their Bibles, but they are not growing. Why? What's the problem? It's not the seed that is the problem. The problem is the seed is not being received. The seed is not being broken. The seed is not being taken in. The seed must be received. That's why James says in this regard, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry in regards to the Word of God. You want to be quick to hear. When I think about quick to hear, I think about mothers who are quick to hear their children or other people's children. You know, when a baby cries, to me, it's a baby crying. I can't discern what the cry is about. It's just a baby crying. Honey, there's a baby crying. One little joke we have to one another is we used to take our kids out to eat and our kids would cry. <laughs> and we, um, 
Now when we go out to eat and kids are crying, we say like, why would they bring kids into a place like this to cry? Little joke. But Debbie, when kids are crying, can say, oh, she's hungry. Oh, she needs to change her diaper. Oh, she needs to go to bed. See, there's discernment of the cry of a little one because she's quick to hear. You see, she's able to discern that voice and make sense of it. And when the Bible says we're to be quick to hear, we're quick to hear the word of God. That means we need to stop talking. A lot of people are talking, but they don't know what they're talking about. They're talking, but they're not informed by the word of God. They're just talking, multiplying words. We need to be quick to hear what God has to say. Listening for his voice, being a seed that's received by us. And slow to speak, and slow to get angry. (laughs) Your children, (laughs) you ever had your children ask you for something, you said no, and they got angry? They think that <laughs> they think that by getting angry, it's going to change your decision, right? The message is, I'm mad, you should change. <laughs> but your kids pitching a fit doesn't change your mind, right? So simply by getting mad at God that he says something doesn't change his mind. God has spoken. It's the word of God. You know what's happening in America? Many people are taking Christianity like it's an audit class. They're coming to class, a place like this. Now, when you take an audit in college, you can sit there and receive all the information without taking any responsibility. You don't have to um, take the test. You don't have to do any homework. You just sit in the class and receive the lecture. So they're coming to churches like this church, and they're sitting receiving the information, but they're doing absolutely nothing with what they received. We are educated beyond our level of obedience. We hear the word of God that our lives would be changed by the word of God. Amen. We come to receive what God would say to us. In order to follow God, you have to learn who God is and what God says. And then you have to continue in what you have learned. And what he would say is, You've known from the time you were a child the sacred scriptures, which are able to lead you to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have come from a Christian family. You may be the first-generation Christian. But let me say right now that God is inviting you to a relationship with him, a relationship that will grow dearer and more precious as time goes forward. You may regret many things in your life, but you'll never regret beginning your relationship with God. And it all comes through the scriptures which are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now to testify to their relationship, two of our women come. Christina Rapp, she has been one of our leaders in Awana, a prayer warrior, small group leader. And her daughter, Rachel, comes. And she is one of our awesome youth um, and the leader in our youth group. They're going to come and now talk about their discipleship relationship. Good morning. Again, my name is Christina Rapp, and this is my daughter, Rachel. And um, we have the honor of speaking to you about our relationship this morning as discipleship. Um, As I was thinking about this, I 
I used the phrase in my head, generational discipleship, and it reminded me of the other phrase, generational sin. We hear that a lot. And I was thinking, okay, what generational sin do we deal with? Well, the most important and first one we need to deal with is the sin of unbelief. And what better way to counter that? Discipleship. Our kids are not born believers, so we parents, it's our first and foremost responsibility to teach them. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not have a Lois and a Eunice to teach me. But when God brought me to himself in my 20s, um, this wonderful group of ladies embraced me and discipled me and just helped me to grow. And I will never forget them. And what they taught me was, they said, Christina, you need to always have a Paul, someone that's discipling you, and you need to always have a Timothy, someone that you are discipling. And this will keep you in a balanced life. They taught me how to pray. They taught me how to read the scriptures. And they just poured their life into me. And we were a military family. And we moved around quite a bit. So every place we went, I said, okay, God, give me my Paul and give me my Timothy. And he was faithful every time. And then I had the ultimate Timothy, Rachel, she, and my four boys. So there they are, my kids. Tim and I are the disciplers. They're watching us 24-7. So then you ramp up your, your scripture reading like, okay, this is serious. I got to do this. Um, anyway, it was a pleasure to do that. And the, one of the verses that um, are used was 2 Timothy 3.15, which says, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures. What an honor to teach my children from infancy, from their just the very beginning. I didn't have that. I often think, wow, how different would my life have been had I known the scriptures through my teen years. Rachel and the boys have known that, and their lives uh, are definitely way different than mine. When they were little, I did things with them, uh, reading children's Bibles to them, teaching them how to pray. So many opportunities children give us to apply the scriptures, you know, that love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, you can use that every five minutes with your kids because they're, they're bicker, bicker, bicker. Okay. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And as Rachel got older, um, actually even from, from elementary age in the church, we had Olympians a long time ago and Awana. Uh, she has been helped by many people through the years, many other women, and the church family in general. And now she's currently being discipled by Lisa Catania. And they meet a couple times a month, and um, I'm really thankful for that too. And she is also, in her leadership in the youth group and through Lisa and myself and my husband, learning how to disciple as well so she can pass it on to the next generation of people around her and her kids. If you do not grow up in a home with Christian parents, it's okay because you have the church. We are a family. We made a commitment this morning to that family and there are three kids that we would help in their discipleship process, and, and I hope we all take that very seriously. And a lot of us moms that work in the child care, we, we do that, um, and it's a great honor to do that. And uh, the last thing I want to share is that wonderful fanning into flame example. Um, as I said earlier, I have a wood stove, which is just my favorite thing. Uh, <laughs> if you know me, I'm always cold. Um, when I get up in the morning... There's just tiny little ember in there. And what the first thing you do is you open the flue, you open the door, you add oxygen. Well, that's what we do to the people around that we're discipling. You know, the Holy Spirit has to put the ember there, and they have to receive it. But we pour the scripture into them. We are the oxygen, just like R said. That's our job. Pour the scripture 
into our kids and new believers and pull people into our lives that are going to pour it into us as well. Now I'm going to let Rachel share. Um, well, like my mom said, since um, I was really little, she always told me about God and she brought me to Christ and she was sharing about um, David and Goliath and how he fought for God and he had faith. And I was like, Mom, how can I do that? And she, um, she told me all about God and um, she taught me how to pray and how to read my Bible. And um, she, when I was all in elementary school and um, till now, you know, she encourages me to read my Bible and whenever I have a question, you know, she's there and she's willing to answer it and help me work through learning about God. And um, we have our moments, you know, she's my mom, but she's my best friend too. And, um, you know, it's something that um, we are so blessed to have such a close relationship. And I think a lot of people don't get that. They don't get um, from birth to just be poured into like I have. And I thank God for that. And I thank God for my mom and for everything that she's done for me. And um, so it's just, it's a really great, it's a really great thing to have somebody who is always there for you and to be a good example so that um, later I'll be able to pour into other people as well. (laughs) Thank you. That's my Mother's Day present. Heartwarming, isn't it? Discipleship from generation to generation. How many of you have a son or a daughter? Grandson, granddaughter? How many of you see yourselves as disciples? How many want to disciple your kids? Really pour into them? How many kids really want to be discipled? Let your parents pour into you. Scripture says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture, including that precious scripture about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath? The Sabbath that begins by the lighting of a candle. Now, you may be living with a woman who hasn't had a Sabbath in a while, and guess what today is? Today is Mother's Day. What a wonderful opportunity to give her Sabbath, to let her rest Let her put her feet up. Let her read a book. Let her do what she wants to do. A day to delight in. A Sabbath for her. Can you imagine yourself giving her a Sabbath where she gets a rest? Reflect on the goodness of God. Maybe be with her family. All Scripture is God-breathed, which is to say that all Scripture is inspired of God and is useful for teaching and rebuking. Teaching is teaching somebody what's right. The task of parenting is teaching your children what's right and what's wrong. Be an example to them. Teaching them the truth. And then rebuking them. Rebuking is bringing correction to what's false. Correction, correcting them means to correct a lifestyle that's out of order. And then training in righteousness. You know, a lot of talk this week has been about the Navy SEALs and the intensive training they've gone into. You know, here's some men who are able to uh, be submerged for two minutes without breathing. Jumping out of an airplane 11 miles up, undergoing a nighttime mission. You see, it was very clear 
what we were training the SEALs to do. We were training them to take out people like Osama bin Laden. Chris tells me about his medical training. He's learning now how to intubate a patient. I didn't volunteer to be the first to try. But he undergoes correction and reproof in learning that procedure because the end game is for him to become a physician. And he's gone through a very rigorous training process. In order for a person to be equipped unto every good work, they need to have the scripture in their life. For all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, useful for teaching what is right, for rebuking what is wrong, for correcting a lifestyle out of order, and training a person, instructing them in the pathway of righteousness. So the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you really want your children to be equipped for the work God has for them to do? You have to teach your children the scripture from one generation to the next. You know, we had a very godly grandmother, our kids did, whose name was Dorothy. And when she was um, to come to our house, she brought Chris and the kids a t-shirt that said, if you love me, you read me a story. And they would listen to the Odyssey tapes. Back then there was Dobson Odyssey tapes of the Bible stories. And Grandma would say, what have you guys been listening to? What have you been learning about the Lord? And they would give to her stories of Elijah and Elisha. And she just loved to listen. And she opened up her life and she passed on her faith. She was a godly influence to our children. Our children cannot raise themselves. They need parents who are walking with God, passing on their faith to their children. So we celebrate you mothers today. And we thank God for you. We thank you for the influence you've had in our lives and the influence you have upon our children and our grandchildren.